Hello everybody and welcome to this issue commentary. So uh, this is the podcast where we take you behind the scenes of the issue um, that's on sale at the moment if you're listening to this August 2017 time. Um, So yes, this is the September 2017 issue. If you haven't got a copy, um, it sounds slightly strange, but um, stop listening to this podcast, go out and buy one. Um, and then open it up and start listening to this podcast again because I'm not sure if much of it will make sense unless you've got an issue in front of you. Um, either way, we're, we're happy to have you as part of, the, uh, part of this game. It's an interesting issue, though, this one, isn't it, chaps? Because, actually, I should introduce everyone, shouldn't I, really? I'll, I'll do that. So we have in the room, we have Damon Cogman. Say hello, Damon. Hello, Damon. Uh, Simon Aaron, our features editor. Good afternoon. And uh, Lyndon, Lyndon McDeal, our photographer. Hello. Damon's our art editor, who's had a uh, yeah, he's had a busy month actually. Um, so if you have a copy of the magazine in front of you, you will see why Damon's had a, a busy month um, because this cover, Damon, it feels like we've been putting this one together for the whole year. Yeah, well, we had a um, an idea many moons ago about uh, this this celebration of. Uh, Sterling Moss uh, Pescara, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more about the feet when we get to the feature bit. Um, but the uh, the main the main gist of this is this wonderful uh, painting that uh, Tim Lazell has uh, has done for us. It's incredible. Um, we we talked about it a little bit uh, a while ago, and it's taken a while to come to fruition. But wow, what a, what a wait! It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, we. Um yeah, it has been about six months we've been talking about this, and um, originally it was, wasn't actually going to be the, the cover, was it, Tim? No, no, we just did, just decided that we um, we were going to go to all this effort, and Tim was creating this this amazing piece of artwork, that how could we not put it on the cover? It was incredible, so what? Yeah, exactly, and, and actually one of the key things we had to do during the sort of development of the image was actually switch its orientation from... Uh, uh, landscape to portrait, didn't we? That was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Front covers tend to be the other way around, so yeah, that was um, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, we 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 um we had a chat with Tim, and, and we said, look, this this is such a good concept. We we'd love to put it on the cover. We said we need it to be flipped from landscape to portrait, and we actually also asked him to try and create a little bit more space in in the top kind of third of the illustration why, why was that Damon? Well we need uh, with the front cover you just need the room to put um, cover lines put actual words on because uh, it'd be lovely to just have a an image without any words at all that'd be the dream but uh, in this world of selling magazines you need to tell a bit more of the story so uh, you have to have uh, invent a bit of room up the top uh, in the sky area to kind of uh, leave a bit of room for uh, words and uh, telling the story. That's true, yeah, and, and I think the, the thing that Tim does so well is that he creates a sort of an angle uh, of view that um, you would never be able to see unless it was through an artist's eye, if, if, do you know what I mean by that? Mm. Yeah, we, he, it, because of the way that his, his sort of, I forgive the phrase, but the pop art style um, allows this kind of uh, centre of uh, focus um, in the middle of the picture and it kind of explodes out from that, um, which kind of gives you this, this incredible perspective that, that is, a, is a style that's often copied by many people and uh, never bettered, of course. Yeah, I think, I think Tim 
Well, I think he does it best, doesn't he? It's, it's, it's fabulous. Um, uh, Lyndon, I'll get your viewpoint on this because obviously we've, we've put an illustration on the cover this month and not one of your photos. It doesn't, don't get worried. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Stop <laughs> painting every cover. <laughs> um, but, you know, tell us from, from, from your eye, what, what, what do you see here? And um, yeah, give us your appraisal of this cover. I, I, find, I find it more striking than an actual photograph. It, it draws you in. It's it, like you say, Tim, Tim is a fantastic painter and just the lines that he can create that you can't actually create in, re in a real world just draws you into that picture even more than, than, than a photograph can. And the, the incredible thing about Tim Starr is that he paints it in blocks of colour so there's no shading, there's no um, fine sort of uh, work like that it's, all actually, it's just pixels, it's yeah. like squares of colour which makes it even more incredible the, the definition and the, and the, and the kind of the, what, what he can... The, the, the picture he can paint with uh, with just blocks of colour is pretty 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 incredible. What do you think, Simon? Do you agree? Do you like this one? Yes, I do. I mean, it's it's not the first time Motorsport has had a painting on the cover, but I think it's by far and away the um, the most spectacular painting it's had on the cover. I think Tim's done a great job, and also. That and was that, that was that, that wasn't that the one with um it was back in 1970 it was a painting it was just a portrait painting um not the most wasn't it dave, dave walkcraft dave had won Dushway. the motorsport formula three championship but it was, yeah but it, on, on that original painting as well we had the frame the gold gilt yeah, edge the, the, frame, the frame and was everything. included yeah <laughs> it, it didn't have quite the impact that, no. uh, that, that, that this does and i think also tim deserves a great deal of credit because the amount of color reference material from pescara in 1957 is incredibly limited there's very very little i mean there are some color shots but they're not of fantastically high quality and they are few and far between. So I think, um, yeah, all in all, given the material he had at his disposal, I think he's done a wonderful job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it certainly stands out on the newsstand. So um, take a look if you haven't got your copy already. Um, you'll see it quite literally leap out of the, the newsstand. It's, it's a cracker this month. Um, so let's jump into the um, contents, um, the regulars. Uh, so you have uh, Matters of Moment, which is my editorial leader. Um, I have mentioned in here some, um, some racing that I'm continuing to do with... Uh, with Ed Foster's MGB, Ed uh, used to work for Motorsport. He's now moved on to uh, Goodwood, but he was, um, he was very generous, actually. A couple of, uh, well, a few weeks ago, he let me race his car on my own. He was otherwise engaged, um, and I had a good good go at uh, Snetterton, and, and Simon turned up to watch, which was which was fantastic. I needed the support and and some talent as well, actually. <laughs> did you enjoy yourself there, Simon? Yeah, no, I, I did. Um, as regular readers of the mag might have noticed, I quite enjoy going to club racing and taking photographs of MGBs and stuff, and uh, I have to say, you, you acquitted yourself very well, came from a rubbish qualifying performance to, through, through, uh, through, through, through gained 16 places in the race, that was a very good effort. Thank you very much. Yeah, I didn't pay him to say that either. That's brilliant. Yeah, that was. I think, you I think, will. I think the uh, I think the, the Marco Polo needs to mention at this point as well, where you try coming into the into the paddock, based oh. like a like a some sort of gangster with your. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Okay, so the, yeah, the story is we're yeah definitely go, going off um, tangent a little bit, but okay. So um, Mercedes. Benz have a camper van called a, called a Marco Polo, and it is the most exquisite camper van you've, you've ever seen. It's just, just, it's a long way from kind of air-cooled um, campers that catch fire. This is a, this is a, <laughs> Damon's a fan of air-cooled VWs, but this, this is, uh, yeah, this is, this is very much the sort of a luxury glamping side of things, and uh, we're, we're using it to tow the um, MGB, so, so this thing's got an electric pop-up roof, it's got, you know, a pop-up 
um, what's it got? It's got a cooker, fridge. Um, it's just got it's just got it leather seats, radar, cruise control. It's got the whole lot in it. It's just four four star luxury in a van, isn't it? It so is four star luxury in a van, five star luxury. Five star, I think. Five star I, yeah. I, I, well, I yeah. think I think you'll find. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ten star. Um, and I've um, I, I've borrowed this a trailer from a company called Motorfin, uh, which um, it's effectively the Rolls Royce of, of trailers, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's exquisite. It's it's all made of aluminium. Um, it runs on air suspension, so the the, the car while it's travelling at you know 80, 70, should I, seventy miles 60, an hour, sixty, 60 miles 60. an hour. Yeah, I should really gen up on the uh, towing rod. Sixty miles an hour um, just glides along on its um, on its air suspension, uh, and it's got all these amazing little cubby holes in it where you can store your wheels and your fuel and everything else. It's just the most brilliant thing. So, of course, yeah, I rock up into the Sneston paddock. It's, and it's exactly what you don't need for an MGB at a club event, clearly. <laughs> 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 like we could probably got three MGBs in it, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, of course, I, I turn up and then I suddenly realise that, yes, I, I very much look like the all the gear, no idea, um, <laughs> which, yeah, which was bore out in the race, actually. So, um, but there we go. So we, we do, Simon comes to watch. I'm, I'm playing on the racetracks so the various weekends throughout this year. We've, I'm doing a three-hour relay at Silverstone with you, Kip, um, GTS guys, it's it's um, come come and find us. Yeah, it's a three-hour uh, relay race. It's going to be hilarious, and I'm yeah, I'm in a team of three or four drivers and two cars. Um, it would take me two hours to explain the rules, but it's it's going to be fascinating. So, um, and when is that? That is September the thirtieth. So, um, if you're anywhere near Silverstone, September the thirtieth, come and watch me. So I'm going to be there. I'm sure. Um, Silverstone's not so hot for photographs. It's not the best. I might find an excuse to go somewhere else that weekend, but I will be coming to watch you at Alton Park oh, in yes, September. September the 2nd, Alton Park. Yeah, come and, come and watch me there. or Watch the MGB with hanging its inside front wheel in the air. It's, it's good foot off the ground in most corners. So anyway, right, uh, let's, let's move on. So we've got uh, our usual regulars, international um, racing, story about the uh, Silverstone and the future of the British Grand Prix. Um, some fascinating stuff in here. I think we've, we've, we've really got to, got to the bottom of, of, of this issue. We, we know that it will, it will drag on for a while, but we, we promise you that we'll, we'll stay on top of this story. And then we have a fantastic report from, um, from Mark Hughes, um, Azerbaijan, Austria, and the British Grand Prix. And there's a striking image here, Damon, of uh, page 39 of Vettel's Ferrari with a delaminating front left. Well, I think it's more than delaminating, actually, isn't it? I think, I think, I delaminated. Think that, yeah, I think that tyre's probably seen, seen, seen the, the end of its life, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, there, were plenty of, um, there was plenty of TV coverage of, uh, of, of the tyres letting go at the, at the British Grand Prix, but the, there was very little uh, photographic evidence. So uh, we actually got um, uh, an LAT shot here of, of Vettel's car about to sort of run onto its rims. But it, yeah, there, there, was, there weren't many options, uh, surprisingly, for such a big event. Uh, the photographers kind of went sort of whizzed, whizzed past at such a rate. I think he was on, on a mission it's, to get it's back. It's also the end of the race, isn't it, where people there... Yeah getting ready for podium, check a flag shots. So people aren't out on the circuit at the time. So we were very, very lucky to get that one image. This, uh, in the spirit of this, the behind the scenes nature of this, this, this commentary, um, can, can you tell us what, what equipment you need, how you know where to stand as a photographer? I mean, this, this image is incredibly sharp. You know, you can see the sort of gills in the brake, in the inlet, um, on the brake side, you can see the sparks popping off of the, the end plate. But the photographer's 
what, you're miles away. Yeah, yeah. away. So tell us, tell us about the because it's all in the technology, isn't it? It's, it's nothing about the photo. It's all about it's all about <laughs> technology. There's no talent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go on, Lynn. Tell now us, this, tell this us how have, you weave the magic. I mean, this would have been either a five or six hundred mil. So uh, you know, because of the, the 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 length of the gravel traps and safety now of runoff areas, you're kind of put further and further back. But you just carry longer and longer lenses so it's 500 or a 600 mil with maybe converters on top as well to make it a 700 but you kind of you'll do a track walk a few days before so the thursday of a grand prix you'll do a track walk so you can kind of see where holes in the fences are and where you can and can't stand um, and you just kind of preempt what could happen so you know where to which corners where you might get a few action shots a few incidents and accidents and and it's kind of all in the pre-planning, basically. Yeah, you mentioned about the fact that the photographers all sort of about five laps before the end of the race all disappear back to the pit area, don't they, for the for the presentation? Yeah. So there, yeah, there is a there, there is. So if anything happens in the last five laps, usually you get usually it's missed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it just thankfully, I think we had. I think Jacob was still out. Jacob Ebrey yeah. was still out on track at the time, um, and yeah, was just fortunate enough to be there at the right place at the right time. It's always quite interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm not no longer working full time in Formula One, but when I was, whenever we went to a new circuit um, on the Wednesday or the Thursday beforehand, people were doing track walks, and journalists and drivers would be walking in the correct direction to see what the track looks like from the you know, from the driver's perspective, or sit for the drivers to see which way it goes. And the photographers are all walking around anti-clockwise because they want they, they want to see what the angles are like from from where they'll be taking photographs and you know, the car's angle of approach and all that sort of stuff. We're a backwards breed. <laughs> Damon, is there any comment there on the? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to dive straight into. Uh, the features it's a cracking month and, and Damon do you know what I, again talking about images that this the opener to the Richard Williams Pescara piece um, of Sterling with the bottle of water I'm sure that is could, 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 could be could be some vino but good look how did you find this image well um this is one from Paul Onorakaye, who's uh, an incredible photographer who, um, or I should, uh, uh, should say from his dad, I would have thought. But, <laughs> um, he, um, uh, but the image itself, my God, um, nothing sums up a road race more than the, the dirty goggles the, and the helmet with, with flies and muck all over it. Uh, the, the, 74, isn't it? Yeah. Like 74. Yeah. Um, designers left the uh, the page numbers off, so it's some sort of fool. <laughs> um, but the but every every detail in this image just screams uh, sort of dirt and filth and kind of the the, the grime of that kind of uh, road race, uh, thousand miles of, or how many hundred miles of uh, road racing that he's just completed. Um, yeah, um, how you sum up how you sum up a whole sort of event in one picture, and I think I think there you go that's it isn't it really yeah ab absolutely i mean if if it's just the string back driving gloves the open um, neck collar it's the it's the sort of streak of, of oil over over his his crash helmet it's just it's just got absolutely everything hasn't it this image so a great story on on this this anniversary of pescara but one one of the reasons we wanted to look so closely at this race again is that there was a, there was an anniversary um, party and richard williams was was invited to to this summer party and um, and Lyndon, you accompanied uh, Richard. How did, did you how did you find your uh, three days on the um, wonderful 
coast of uh, Italy. And, Absolutely. Um, it, was, it was a tough job to do, but I'm sure. know, somebody <laughs> had to go out and do it, and thankfully it was me. Um, so tell us about the ups and downs of that trip, because I, I know it wasn't as easy <laughs> as, as maybe it sounded. The downs, uh, it was not speaking Italian and only having Italian colleagues to work with, which could have, well, it did leave us in a bit of a predicament. Um, when I asked what route we were going to be doing on the Saturday, I got handed a road book and went, follow that. So you're driving on your own, trying to be in front of cars on a route that you have no idea where these cars are going to go. Um, was a little bit daunting. So it was just a case of chase and overtake and then park up, turn around, take some snaps, chase again and, and find some other cars to, to capture. But then the rest of it was brilliant. And the Google Maps... Talk, you know, took me around the circuit. So, uh, and on the um, on page eighty two, there's some lovely snaps of the actual circuit as it, well, sort of the roads as it is now, right, not, yeah. not circuit, I guess, but uh, with yeah, the, with original curbing and and still some markings on the walls. That, it's incredible uh, to think all these years later, there's still remnants of that still yeah, still there. It's so fascinating. If you're ever in Pescara, go and go and find them. Don't forget, if you um, subscribe to the digital edition um, of Motorsport, you can see um, these images in high resolution. Um, I believe we've got a zoom function, have we, on, oh, yeah. on that? There's a pitch and zoom. There's, uh, there's all, all manner of uh, good, good goodies in there to, uh, to play with. So, yeah, it's a fully interactive thing. And don't forget, um, if you're listening to this uh, in, in the US, you can pick up your copy of Motorsport in, in Barnes & Noble as well. So, um, yeah, a fab fabulous story. And hopefully we've told, um, well, I, think, I think we've got to the heart of it. And, and then to, to sign off, um, we, we put together a kind of a behind the scenes of how Tim Lazell um, pulled the cover image together. And you can see him working in his, his studio there. This is on page 87. Um, and isn't it great to see an artist using natural light from the window, brushes, oils? It's great, isn't it, Damon? Oh, it's fantastic. That's what, that's the, as, as, as a magazine designer, that's kind of what, what you dream of when you're kind of growing up. That's what you dream of doing, painting racing cars with a, in a huge, lovely studio with all, the, with all those kind of lovely things to play with. But, uh, but yeah, in the modern world, it's a, it's a rarity. But um, Tim, Tim's a lucky guy, but he, uh, he definitely earns it. Right. We're going to jump on to... Oh, no, hang on. Simon's looking at me. He's going to something to say. I was, He's going to add. I was just going to add that, I mean, much as I admire Tim's art, I will stick with the camera because creating an image in one 125th of a second is a, is a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> Right, um, uh, I need to say actually, Damon's just reminded me, Motorsport, um, we're giving away, uh, uh, giving readers a chance to buy um, 60 prints of our cover image, uh, signed by, by Tim Lazell. And uh, for full details, I think if you visit motorsportmagazine.com, I'm looking at our digital editor, he's nodding at me, yes. So, um, so yes, we have uh, one of 60 prints uh, of the cover image, and um, I believe they're selling out fast, so... Uh, Visit motorsportmagazine.com um, and yeah, uh, I, would, I would certainly recommend it because it's, it's an absolutely wonderful image. Right, we're going to jump onto page 90 now and this is where I'm going to ask Simon a question actually. It, it, Daniel Ricciardo, so, we, so this is a, a profiler feature on, on Daniel Ricciardo written by Mark Hughes. Um, I was thinking the other day, has there ever, ever been a, another character in Formula One like Daniel? He's a, isn't he a one-off, the way he enjoys his racing, and yet he's so extraordinarily talented? And so laid back. And I think um, Mark portrays this very well in the piece. What you see is what you get. I mean, he's a ferocious competitor. We, we all know that. Um, and I think he's... I still think he's underrated for some reason. I, I don't know why, because... Max. It's got to be Max, Well, I mean, Max, 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 Max gets the hype, but you look at the stats with the two of them together, and, um, you know, there's very rarely 
Max is quicker sometimes, but it's never more than a gnat, and Daniel's quicker sometimes. And Daniel is also, as we've seen, time without number, every bit as good a racer as Max is. And you know, every time there's an opportunity or a sniff of an opportunity, three times we saw it in 2014 when he outpaced Vettel, again this year in Baku we saw it. Um, love, he takes I it. I love that moment at Baku where just before the restart, when he sort of was talking to the uh, talking to uh, his boss Christian Horner and saying, "Yeah, I'll just I'll just overtake them into the first corner." And, and, and he I, did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Baku not an easy place to overtake. He did just the three cars in one move. I mean, I, he's an extraordinary talent. I think Mark has done. I mean, pinning down drivers at, during a, during a Grand Prix weekend. It's not always well. It's not the work of a moment. But I mean, Mark did a great job to arrange quality time, good stint of quality time with, with Daniel at a race. And I think, um, you know, he's, he's extracted a lot of uh, the guy's character. I, I mean, I think he's an exceptionally good racing driver. I really rate him. Yeah, I agree. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys, actually. So um, let's imagine that um, Ricardo and Verstappen are both on the market. They're both the same price. You're a River Benny at Ferrari and you can put one of them in your car. Which one? Max or Daniel? Daniel, for me. I mean, I'm not saying that Max would be a bad investment. Clearly, he wouldn't. But I just think at this stage, um, Daniel's greater maturity. You still see with Max occasionally. I mean, some of the stuff that has happened this year hasn't been his fault. There have been reliability issues. There have been Daniel Kvyat issues. But um, I think at this at this stage of their respective careers, uh, Daniel's fully formed, um, properly mature approach to racing and just a fantastic racer. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. He'd be every. He'd be. He'd be my choice in a, in a heartbeat, definitely. See, I, I beg to differ with that because I think Danny's much more suited for Red Bull with his personality. I think as a racer, yes, Ferrari, but I think personality-wise, he he suits Red Bull much better than 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 the corporate. You've just asked a question that wasn't asked. <laughs> you, you've answered a question that wasn't asked. <laughs> He, yeah, maybe he would be offered the drive, but you you would recommend that he would stay. He should stay at Red Bull. I, th- I think so for, for just the way he is and his whole personality suits that team much better than than it does with Ferrari. Okay, well while we are on um, hypotheticals, um, this what well, you don't know. I'm going to ask you this, but we're we're halfway through the F1 season, I think, or more, just slightly over. Um, who's going to win? That's that's it. Or this is this is you know this is this is absolutely it because we've got four drivers in with a shot. Um, two Mercedes, two Ferraris. Um, maybe the season hasn't panned out exactly as we were expecting for, for Lewis in particular, but this is it, guys. Cards on the table. Wow. Uh, that's evil. Um, I'm, I, if I had to put my money... I, I'd have you do have to put your money. Hang on. Uh, I've changed my mind all of a sudden. <laughs> no, I'm still going to put it on Lewis um, every day of the week, I think, because he's got the... He's, he knows how to win championships, as does Sebastian. Um, but um, he's never he's he's driving beautifully. He's uh, he's never he's never had a he hasn't had a bad day for a very long time. He had a he had a bad day off. off I'm saying that, but he actually did earlier in the year. Apart from apart from one of the earlier races, R- Russian yeah. Grand Prix. Anybody? Yes, um, uh, I'm going to pass over. Clearly, don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, so Damon's going for Lewis. Damon's put down fifty quid. Everyone see that? Yeah. So Simon. Um, there is a definite momentum, hungry notwithstanding, there did seem to be a little bit of a momentum shift towards Lewis. I really don't have a clue. If I had to put money on it, um, I probably would give Lewis the very slight edge, but the caveat being not um, 
yeah, Vettel might do this or Vettel might do that, but the best driver this year, to my mind, has been Fernando Alonso, who won't be winning the title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to beg to differ again. <laughs> I'm going to go Seb. Okay. I think Seb, he's got Ferrari behind him. He's got Kimi being told what to do. And I think that Valtteri will be a force to be reckoned with with Lewis because he's got nothing to lose for next year. Well, well, do you know what? I think Lyndon's right. I hate to say it. I'm, I'm not the biggest Vettel fan after his um, jab at, at, at Lewis, but no, no, no that's that. it. <laughs> so no, not not Bottas or Kimi then. Yeah, there's no no fairy tale there. I'd love Bottas to do it. I think it'd be amazing. Jack's, but Jack's just put his hand up. Bottas, really? Yeah. Our digital editor is behind the recording desk at the moment. Is, is saying Bottas definitely. What do you know? <laughs> Okay, what shows money on the table? Um, yeah, Jack's disappeared, yeah. <laughs> right, okay, let's jump into something very unusual here, but nevertheless, absolutely wonderful. Simon and Lyndon, please tell us the story behind this story, how it came about, and um, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed writing and shooting this one. Yeah, I think uh, I'll pass the mic to Lyndon initially because he got the best of the deal because he got to go up to North Yorkshire to the... Uh, Hepworth's workshops, whereas I did my bit over the telephone. So, uh, Lyndon. Yeah, well, this this has been nearly a year in the making. Um, I saw Stephen at Goodwood last year at the Festival of Speed and just chatting to him while he was sat in his Can-Am BRM. And I, and I just thought, he's got some fantastic cars. He was on about this, this four-wheel drive Formula 5000 that he was, he was on about restoring of his dad's. And uh, like I say, a year, in, a year later, and it was back at Goodwood, but just before, we, we managed to go up to North Yorkshire and, and, and photograph it whilst they were still assembling it and getting it ready for the, for the festival. So, yeah, it was a fantastic opportunity and, and some great guys to go and meet and, and shoot. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen Stephen competing uh, many times. I saw this car in action at the uh, currently resting Chumley Power and Speed event. And it's a great, it's a great thing. I mean, it won the British Hill Climb Championship twice. It was entered a couple of times in Formula 5000 races where it proved not to be all that successful, but it went back on the hills. And, um, you know, it's, it's had a very chequered time the last sort of 40-odd years, being taken apart, stripped down, rebuilt without any kind of instruction manuals or guidance. Uh, David Hepworth, who built the car originally, sadly died a number of years ago, died very young in his early 50s. But the family have put it back together. And you know the, t- the tale of its resurrection. The, they've had to go, you know, jump through all sorts of hoops to, you know, I think they, they mentioned in the piece the gearbox had to, you know, they built it about nine times because every time they put it back together, they'd find there'd be a couple of grommets or washers that hadn't gone somewhere that should have gone somewhere. Um, and I think Stephen said, yeah, it was about the ninth attempt, they finally decided that all the correct bits were there and in the correct places. Um, but then when they first ran it. Uh, after they first rebuilt it, they discovered they'd actually mounted the gear selector back to front. So you know, it was sort of <laughs> not not quite right, but it's it's it's, it's fine. I mean, they, it's also interesting. The the reason they did the latest rebuild was because they had to strip down the four wheel drive transmission to do some reverse engineering for another project, uh, which was an opportunity for them to pull it apart and put it back together again. But um, yeah, lovely car. I think it's a very interesting story. I, I would say that. I, I mean, I love these the opportunities we get in motorsport because people are very generous. People with older cars, they seem to love the magazine, which is fantastic. Talking to people who love these, I mean, who love the sport every bit as much as anyone around this table does and are just so passionate 
uh, about what they do and why they do it. I mean, it's such a pleasure, such a privilege to be able to talk to people like that. And, you know, Stephen was one of those. I mean, we could have spent hours and hours and hours on the phone just during the Cutabout Motorsport, and I'm sure he and I'll chat again in due course. And one nice little... It's a pity this didn't happen uh, in time for us to include a scan in the feature, but um, replacing one of Linda's photographs. But um, the, the, um, a couple of weeks after this had gone to press, uh, I was having dinner with friends, and one of them said, oh, I found some old race programmes in a cupboard. Do you want them? Which, of course, the correct answer is yes. And one of them was from the um, Oliver's Mount hill climb Scarborough in 1968, which was the event where the Hepworth made its debut. And to, to be given uh, something like that yeah. almost immediately after I'd written the piece was, you know, was, was just a, a quirky coincidence, but lovely. Yeah, fabulous. I'm pleased to say that we're going to, you know, we're going to con- continue with this. Um, we kind of call them restoration stories, but they're not really. They're people stories, aren't they? They're, they're, and we're going. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's human and mechanical, but yeah. it, it's, a, it's a cocktail of everything. I think that, I think they're lovely. Yeah, we've got some great great stuff coming up as well. So stay stay tuned. And next up, lunch with Anthony Reid. Now this is this is a cracker. Um, it, it was an interesting uh, conversation we had in in the office um, <laughs> around who should be the subject of uh, of, of lunch with. And the, and there were certain people. Um, what well, well, I won't mention any names. Damon. Um, <laughs> who, who just, you know, he quite rightly, devil's advocate, said, did Anthony Reid a suitable um, subject for, for a lunch with? And um, I said, yes, he's got a story to tell, a wonderful story to tell. Um, and Damon listened to my argument, <laughs> read his P45 very closely, <laughs> <laughs> and decided that he would back down from that one. <laughs> Listen, I know I'm I, I'm teasing. I'm being awful. I know I'm, but th- th- this is, I guess, this is the behind the scenes, and we do discuss, don't we? Who, who's right for this? Who should be? Should it be an interview? Should it be a news piece? Should it be a web story? You know, and and uh, tell us, Damon, what's what's your, what's what are your thoughts on lunch with and 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 our subject matters? Well, it's uh, it's a completely arbitrary um, uh, kind of decision making because it's based on who's a good story, and uh, it shouldn't be about results, and it shouldn't be about um, anything other than will it make a good feature, will it make a good story, and um, and oh, you uh, I, I, <laughs> and I merely <laughs> asked the question whether or not Anthony Reid would be a fitting uh, lunch with, and I'm I'm happy to say I was wrong. I'm happy to say I was wrong. Um, however, I, I feel he could have taken his hat off for lunch though. I feel that's the, <laughs> the height of impoliteness, surely, to uh, to wear a hat. At it was a bright table. room, and he did need shading from from the the Velux window. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is uh, page 106, 107. Um, yeah, we, we do, don't we? We do talk, yeah, you know, we talk endlessly about what, what who's suitable, um, the, the subject matters to cover. And um, unfortunately, Andrew Frankel is, is one of our contributors, so he's not always in the office, but, but he had a he had a handle on this, didn't he? And he knew straight away how to get the best out of him. And he said from, from the start that he wasn't going to focus too much on, on the touring card days because that's, that's what people know from, from Anthony. Um, and sure enough, I think he's, he's just every other paragraph, there's a piece of information about Anthony that I'm, I'm pretty sure our readers won't be aware of. Yeah, there's one bit that's missing, and I still, um, have, I'm, I still feel bitter about this, but in 1983, I was supposed to have a run in the... Uh, Works Argo Formula Ford 2000 car at Snetterton. And the day before, or the evening before, I was due to drive up there to drive the thing, I got a phone call from the uh, guy in the team, a guy called Bob Moore, sponsor finder, who uh, had arranged it all for me. And uh, 
he apologised, said it won't be happening, I'm afraid, because Anthony's had a bit of an accident, which a bit of an accident turned out. I don't think he'd crashed near the bridge. I think he'd actually crashed into the bridge. The Through old bri- the bridge. Well, well I don't <laughs> know. I think it, it hit the, the old the old Snetterton Road, back in the glory days when there was still a little chef at Snetterton. Um, the, I think he'd, he'd actually somehow cocked up the S's and uh, yeah, struck the bridge parapet, and the Argo was... Um, wasn't no longer fit for purpose, and I still haven't driven a Formula Four 2000 Argo. Well, maybe we can we can all these years later. And I've retired we can, now. <laughs> we can sort that. Um, Joe, I I, um, I raced a Fun Cup a few weeks ago, and um, Anthony was uh, was was a was a hired gun in, in one of the teams, and he was you know as you'd expect, he was right up the sharp end, and uh, as you'd probably expect as well, I wasn't. Um, so there came a point in the race where I was I was being lapped. Um, I saw this car come screaming up behind me, um, going into Paddock Hill Bend, and um, and I thought, wow, that closing speed is, is something else. I thought, you know, actually he's lost it, he's locked up, he's going to hit me up the back. So I kind of tried to move a little bit, expecting this car to, to whack me up the back, but it didn't, it turned in and went through. Um, but just as he was turning in, um, I kind of lost it a little bit, not much, but I lost it on, on the marbles, and I'm pretty sure whoever was in that car, I'll tell you who it was, you probably guessed, um, had a bit of a fright. So we go up the hill, um, and uh, I got the full fist wave. Yeah, from uh, from from Anthony, um, and <laughs> I returned, <laughs> and I returned with a full V sign for uh, for two corners, and then I thought I should probably put both of my hands back on the steering wheel now, and then I thought, oh no, I've got a camera in my car. What if they? Oh, this has all gone horribly wrong, you know, and this is why I'll never be a racing driver because I just can't concentrate. My mind just goes off into other areas. But um, so uh, Anthony, I, I'm I'm sorry if I flicked you the V, and I certainly didn't mean to give you a fright into paddock. But um, thanks for the lunch with. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. We we certainly did. Right, let's go into. Oh well, this is a, this is a sad story, isn't it, Lyndon? This is your photo essay. This is uh, the the Manor uh, Racing uh, auction, uh, page hundred sixteen, hundred seventeen. Um, and as the first says, following its enforced withdrawal from Formula One, Manor Racing's assets were split up and sold off. And and you were there, weren't you, uh, Lyndon? Oh, yeah, I went on one of the viewing days of the auction, and even the auction was quite a sad lonely place to be there was very few people there whether everybody had been looking online to to, to get their bids it, look, it looked really eerie didn't it because there's it all, these, all these things laid out and and with no no one around to it see was, them. it was like an identity parade you know when you when you're trying to identify the body or something like that mm. but it was it was a really sad sad day to see all this the bit that got me was of the helmets, all the pit crew helmets with the names on the back, and you just think that's somebody's mm. career, that's somebody's life that's been drastically changed through through lack of funding or through lack of points, shall we say? And there's a, there's a, one of the one of the images there is a is a year planner as well with next oh. with well with 2017's uh, sort of dates all sort of marked in for the Grand Prix. And the only thing that was marked was the diet was the the three week enforced holiday, and, yeah, and that was it. Very, nothing very else. Creepy, yeah. It was yeah a very sad day hmm. and, and equally spooky the the wind tunnel model of the 2017 car as well you know this, this the, we mustn't forget that manor haven't been replaced you know that the, the formula one is two cars down this year and it shows doesn't it yeah. what do you think yeah. simon do, does it feel like the grip it feels empty well year, i mean i i still i still kind of exist in a world where we had pre-qualifying and stuff in my head so i think i think the grids the grids have looked small for a very long time to to me but then I'm, I'm a bit of an antique Linda's described beautifully what the auction room was like but they were just as a team you know they didn't achieve a huge amount in their short existence 
But there was such a good bunch of people, very down-to-earth, very approachable, not at all like certain other Formula One teams. And, I mean, I remember the, the on the day before their debut Grand Prix in Bahrain, about four names ago, um, when they were still well, virgin, in fact, <laughs> and I was invited into the garage to uh, one of the PRs. I said, oh, can I have a look, see how we're getting on? And there were still, I mean, the cars, this was a Thursday in Bahrain, 2010, and the cars weren't built. I mean, they were... They were vaguely built, and John Boo, the team principal, Graham Loudon, a commercial director, uh, they're, they're all on the hands and knees and uh, in the in the pit garages, you know, sawing away at bits of carbon and chopping up bits and bolting things together. And, you know, the, the following morning, the cars were on the track and running. But to see that kind of human endeavour, for so little reward in the end, but it was actually... You know, you, you don't very often get invited into Formula One pit garages unless you're a, a paddock club guest or some such. Um, but, you know, Manor Stroke, Virgin Stroke, Marussia wasn't like that at all. And, um, you know, it, it, was a, it was very nice to get a, get, a, get a moment like that to see something coming together. And I feel you know, very sad that it, in the end it didn't work out. As, as you mentioned, though, is a, is, a, is a human part to all of this because um, let's not forget that this is now the third team to go in six years, isn't it? It's um, started with... HRT. Well, the three that came in in 2010, yeah. HRT, Lotus Caterham, and, and now they've Manor. all yeah, they've, they've all, all gone. All, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we've lost we've lost three teams in six years, which is you know pretty 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 bad, really, isn't it? Let's be honest. You, they all came in on the basis of a, a price cap promise from Max Mosley, and they um, the price cap never materialised, and from that moment on, they, they never really had a, a chance because they came in thinking they'd be able to do it for X, where X turned out to be several times X. Yeah. Right, Simon, I'm going to stick with you, actually, because we're going to dive into um, Formula 2. Um, now, this is a kind of a two-part story. Um, starts on page... Oh, Damon, there are page numbers on this one again. Look. Two, two. <laughs> one, two, two. You have to guess the... It's a, it's, a, it's a competition. Surely you must give, 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 give away a Tim Lazell print or something if, if you can guess if you the can page guess. number. Yeah, yeah, guess the page number, yeah. We should do a free gift of uh, little stickers with numbers on and then we can stick them in the pages that you want to kind of get them on, but... I'm not picking on you, Damon. It's okay. It's, I know it's a beautiful image, and I know you didn't want to put any page numbers on it. So, um, so yeah, two-part story. Uh, the, the first part is from uh, Dickie Meaden, uh, our, our contributing editor, who is racing a historic uh, Chevron B42 F2 car this year. Uh, and the second part is is a wonderful piece, again, by by Simon, and with a great headline as well, Band of Brothers. So, um, I mean, Simon, you're the best place to, to, to give us an overview of, of, of this, this, this story, this two-parter, in a way. Well, um, I, I can't pass much comment on what it's like driving a Chevron B42 around Spa in the wet, but I mean, I think Dickie's uh, done a very good job of conveying the difficulty of, I mean, Dickie's had a great deal of success in historic sports cars, historic touring cars and stuff, but there are some very, very good drivers in historic F2 guys like Martin Stretton, Martin O'Connell, you know, they are Matthew Watts, I mean, they're properly quick. I'm not saying they'd have been competitive in period Formula 2, but they are all very, very good drivers. And uh, I think Dickie's done a great job of describing just, you know, what he's up against this this, this year. And, um, you know, they they are, I'm sure most regular motorsport readers will be of sufficient sufficient maturity to have have seen Formula 2 cars in period. I I certainly didn't. I, I, I remember first reading about it in motoring news it would have been in the early 70s and you know there, there were sort of 35 40 car entries for 
26 places on the grid and all these names, some of whom would become yeah. famous Formula One drivers. And many of you, who the, and we didn't have the internet, you couldn't look up who, mm. you know, obscure Italian A or B might have been. And you just, I wondered about all these people, some fant- all these fantastic names. It just looked like a, a really interesting place to be. And um, I had the great privilege in 1984, unfortunately, as the championship was dying. Uh, it was my first season as a, a motor racing reporter working on a, an overseas beat. And, I mean, the Band of Brothers headline came really from my own personal experience of that year in 1984. There weren't so many teams then, there were about 17, 18 cars. But just the spirit of camaraderie between drivers, mechanics, journalists. At that stage, drivers are at a, st- you know, they're at a point in their careers where they need the press. They don't have a PR to arrange a, an interview at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. They came and talk, they came and talked to you, they'd phone you up. And, you know, there was a real... Everybody rubbed along. Um, as a, it was a cocktail of different languages and different cultures, but you know some really good young drivers. Great circuits we went to: Poe, Mazzano, Vallelonga. Oh, I, I absolutely loved it. Mugello, Mazzano, Enna, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I think I was the fourth different reporter in as many years to cover the European F2 Championship for Motoring News. But I loved it so much that I stuck around for Formula 3000 in 85 mm. and in fact stuck around until Formula 3000 was canned at the end of 2004 and then I carried on watching GP2 races. So I, I, I kind of... <laughs> My but, part in their downfall, is this? Well, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I just... I love that level of the sport. I mean, I, I love Formula 1 as well. But you get far more access to the people and back when I was doing it, um, an awful lot of the teams are run by former F1 engineers and mechanics who didn't like the commercial element of Formula One and preferred racing a level down. And it was just a very, very engaging place to work. And, you know, I think it's only with high... And, and also the fact that you had chassis competition as well. Nothing was one make. Mm. So you had, you know, you had Rolton March, in my day, but before that, Chevron, Lola, yeah. and, and so on and so forth as Rondell. well. Well, Rondell was a team. They, they, did, they did do oh, their okay. own cars. Yeah, yep, they did. True, yep. They ran Brabham's and things, but they, they did do their, their own car eventually but um i was just incredibly lucky to work then and when and as you look back you realize you know at the time it was, it was all very nice but when you look back not with rose tinted spectacles you just be looking at the way the sport has developed and all the one make culture that's come in and you realize how lucky you were to be there with all these talented interesting people yeah great times right so um let's move on to the final feature in the magazine this month and um Goodness me, there's a, there's a feature here about drifting. Simon is the features editor. I mean, seriously, what what's the? Yeah, tell me what uh, the drifting. This is yeah, this I don't, is I don't shocking. Know. I, yeah, I don't. Um, this one was this one was snuck it. This one was sort of snuck onto the flat plan without my noticing, actually. Damon, maybe maybe you, maybe you can tell us. Um, hang on a minute. Um, yeah, this great. We've got drifting in the magazine. That's that's really exciting. This is. I think this is the first time ever. I'm fairly sure Body didn't have drifting in the, in the magazine. Uh, body and Jenks weren't weren't that keen, as far as I as far as I recall. Okay, hands up. Yes, um, I I thought this would be a good idea, and I, and I stick by it. it, it Basically, the FIA is embracing drifting. Um, and when the news broke that there was going to be an FIA series, the FIA International Intercontinental Drifting Cup, we started talking about it in the office. And I figured, well, if, if this has created a debate in the office, then it should create a debate amongst our, our readership. And we should, we should propose, you know, we, we should put forward um, 
the the story we should explain its um its birth its gestation uh, and we should we should introduce it and i think that um yeah it's it's kind of curious to go from a story on historic f2 to to drifting but um i, I stand by it and of course and, and actually i have to credit simon for the fantastic cover line drifting four-wheel dressage question mark <laughs> <laughs> um because there is this question isn't there is drifting actually a competitive but sport to all teasing aside i mean i I do, and I know that there will be some of our traditional readers who maybe don't like the idea, but the fact is, the magazine's title is Motorsport, and I personally believe that we should embrace embrace the sport in all its forms. Um, you know, in my column, I include all sorts of stuff, whether it's hill climbs, rallycross. You know, they're they're not the most, they're not the foremost branches of, of motorsport, but they are part of it, it's in the same way as sporting trials are and anything else. Well, and drift, and drifting, yeah. you know, it's it is definitely a growing movement, and the fact that the FIA has embraced it tells you everything. Yeah, I think the landscape of most motorsport, um, lowercase m, lowercase s, um, is uh, is changing massively at the moment. We've got we've got electric racing, we've got uh, world rallycross at the moment proving incredibly popular. Why not drifting as well? And world rallycross looking at going electric too. Yeah, that's, that's that's being discussed. I mean, there's only you know, it is as you say the, the the landscape is changing massively, and I I think as a mag, yeah, we are duty bound to to reflect that. Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I still it didn't know it was on the flat plan. This one, honestly, <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Well, I, 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 if you're a, um, a Goodwood and you saw uh, Mad Mike um, with his, it was, it's the, it's an MX-5, isn't it, with a with a rotary it's engine. It's an RX-8 engine in a, in a MX-5 with um, with basically no exhaust pipe. The exhaust sticks through the bonnet. So you watch the onboard of that thing flying up the hill and doing doing donuts and stuff. It's the sort of stuff that. Well, you know, I've got two young boys, and, and of course they go they go mad for this sort of stuff, and I, and I don't really mind. I just want them to 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 get excited about the sound of a high revving car and flames and smoke and all that other stuff because they get interested in the mechanics then, you know. So, um, and I'm hoping that this will actually inspire a, a generation of motorsport enthusiasts. Well, I, I went out to Sweden a couple of years ago to a to a big um, drifting event in. Uh, uh, oh God, I can't remember. I can't even pronounce it. Sweden. Oh yeah, that's it. There we go. Sweden. There we go. Um, and uh, I was amazed at the technology that goes into it. It's not. It's not as uh, sort of simple as it as it as it appears. Um, the the kind of the way the suspension's set up, the tires, the ge- the diffs, the ratios, gearboxes, everything. It's it's an incredibly complex and technical formula. I mean. And in spirit, is it a million miles removed from the specials that were built post-war by the the you know, the, the garagists in the UK, used use them in hill climbs and so on and so forth, and you know Jenks would write about those. There's there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of homespun engineering in these things, and as Damon says, it is it's like dra- drag racing. Everything so it's just driving in a straight line. But as we all know, you know they've got fifteen thousand different head gaskets to choose from, depending on whether you know the mm. ambient temperatures. 15 degrees or 16 degrees there is a huge amount of complexity and uh, you know I, I'm, I think we should at least look at it you've got to also remember the, the talent of the drivers you know yeah. not everyone can just throw a car sideways when you're millimeters from your competitor you know same with drag racing it's going in a straight line but you are in complete control and I couldn't do it and I certainly couldn't drift either not controlled anyway <laughs> Nick, Nick's been getting cars sideways unintentionally recently 
I have. I've only spun once in the MG. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, Dan Trent, who wrote this story for us, I think, I think he's done a re- really good, really good job. Um, and I was having a conversation with him about about the technology in their cars, and, and I asked him about the tires because obviously they they get a serious beating. But I, I, I asked him, surely these are kind of low grip tires, or they're um, or they're designed to, to smoke a lot, or whatever. And he, and he said, no, actually they're really high grip tires because the the drivers. Um, can't manage a transition with a low grip tires. They need loads and loads of grip so they can do the, you know, where they do the sort of side to side kind of um, motion. So then you start to think, well, how fast are these things drifting? And, and then Dan told me this story of when he got the chance to drive this 1,360 horsepower uh, GTR and it, had, it held the, wor- the world record for the world's fastest ever drift, which 190.6 miles an hour. Can you imagine that? That's, that's, that's just extraordinary, is it? 190 miles an hour drift. Will the MGB do 190.6 miles an hour? Of course not. It's, it, it's fully adheres to all the uh, rules and regulations <laughs> of the, <laughs> of, of the, of the series. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, a great story. I mean, I can't say that we'll necessarily follow this up in, in print for a while, but I would urge you to um, seek out some, some video and, and keep an eye on the FIA Championship next year because um, at the end of... It is next year, isn't it, the, the, the Cup? Is forming so so next year in the FIA awards ceremony there'll be F1 and, and touring cars and there'll be a, a bloke with a baseball cap on backwards exactly good on him um, I'm gonna have to round it up aren't I I think um, Jack's nodding at me because we've we've gone over oh goodness we have gone over time um, listen uh, thanks as ever. Um, for reading, and I, I hope you enjoy this issue. We've had a lot of fun putting this one together, um, and also it's uh, it's the last in this kind of style because next month, the October 2017 issue, um, we're going. Th- we've we how can I put this? Uh, design um, and content evolution, which is yes, a, a refresh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Every, every everything needs a, a little look at every now and then, and motorsports no different. But don't worry, it's not anything not anything huge. It's just a little gentle massaging and a little little few extra fonts and a few nice little tweaks here and there okay so um you didn't mention the red cover no (laughs) there'll be no red cover don't worry there'll be no red cover we can we can promise that but yeah please um yeah keep reading it's uh you know hopefully you can tell that that we get an enormous sense of satisfaction putting this together and and knowing that um you enjoy this this sport as much as we do so um yeah keep listening keep reading and uh, we'll see you next month